Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Sometimes we laugh and sometimes we cry, but I guess you know now. Baby. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Coon Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM and ESPN. We go out live to Nashville now. We got Connor O'Gara, online senior national columnist for Saturday Down South, also host of the Saturday Down South pod. On Twitter at CJ O'Gara. Connor, what's the word, man? I haven't caught up with you since uh, since last year. Last year in Atlanta. I know. It's, it's been a minute. Yeah, everything's everything's good. It's it's a little bit weird that SEC Media Days are, are here. So I'm Atlanta or Birmingham, but uh, Hoover, whatever you want to call it. But uh, it's been good so far. A little bit of a slower start to the day, but you know, I think I think we're just getting our feet wet a little bit before the real the real storm of of Kirby and Nick Saban rolls in. Oh, no, I get that. I completely understand that. Um, so from what I understand, you're going around, you're asking coaches, uh, what's football weather? What, what are the responses thus far? We're trying, we're tr- I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. I've only been able to, so far, I've only been able to ask LSU players because we didn't have A&M players in the main room. I don't know if that was just a mix-up or what exactly the deal was, but we're, I think the consensus is going to end up being like 60. Like, give me a, give me a pregame 60-degree day. And, you know, it'll get colder maybe over the course of the day, depending on what yes. time you're playing. And then it kind of fades into that by the end of the night. Like that, that to me makes a lot more sense. I haven't gotten anyone, even and I talked to Jake Butt about this, who was former Michigan tight end Mackey Award winner uh, back in Harbaugh's first teams there. And even he was kind of like, yeah, you know, like 60 degrees to start, kind of get a little bit chillier as the night goes on. I don't think there's a whole lot of people who want to play in 75-degree weather. And I also don't think there are a whole lot of people who want to play in snow. So I think we're going to settle that. on like 60s and 50s. See, the difference is you're going to get different answers from like, you bring up Jake Butt, tight ends, O-linemen, guys like D-linemen. You'll get different answers from them than you will from like wide receivers and, and corners. I, I feel like wide receivers and corners, the accepted – um, the accepted football weather is very hot, very, very hot, usually like 85, 90 degrees so they can stay warm so they don't have any hamstring pulls. O-line yeah, and D-line don't generally worry about that, though. I, I, I always wanted it around 60 and getting colder throughout the game, maybe a night game or, the, you yeah. know, like that, 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 that 5 o'clock start, 6 o'clock start where it just consistently gets darker and cooler as the night goes on. 
So let me ask you this. Is footing more important than actual weather itself? Because I, I guess that's kind of factored into it. But, like, if you're just telling me, oh, it's going to be 60 degrees, but you don't really know if it's going to be rainy. You don't know if it's going to be footing you know, really dry out there. Does, so footing is probably more important than the actual temperature itself. Yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I would say so. But if you give me good weather and just a, a slight drizzle, I can deal with that. I can deal with that type of footing. But again, like you're, you'll get different answers from wide receivers, cornerbacks, uh, running backs, O line. You'll get you'll get different answers around the board. And I wonder what the coaches have to say. Yeah, that's a good point. I, yeah. I got to start being able to, to to get to get some of those some of those press conference questions in. I don't know for whatever reason. Maybe I'm just not getting off the vibes. I'm just not getting not getting called on. Leave my hand raised, and it's not a good start. <laughs> I think I went over two or over three to start off at SC Media Days, which is pretty weak for your boy here. Yeah, um, I, I do have to ask before we get to what Sankey had to say today. Uh, what, what was the what were the Jimbo Fisher vibes like? One of these days, he's going to admit that he's not calling plays exclusively anymore. <laughs> right. Today was not that day. Uh, today, unfortunately, was another day in which he stepped all over his own shoes, talking about Bobby Petrino and his role in the offense. Who's going to be calling plays? Who's not going to be calling plays? He's like, you know, I'm still the boss, but you know, I want different opinions in here. And then, you know, he's like, cut somebody off when they're asking about whether or not they're going to go with the four wide that Bobby Petrino has or more the pro style under center system that Jimbo likes and like cuts them off and is, is saying like, well, you know, Bobby Petrino has a lot of underneath stuff. What are you, what are you talking about? And it's just like, all right, man, Eli Drinkwitz shows the exact way of how you actually can give up play calling duties and tell people that you're giving up play calling duties. And now it just seems like such a weird dynamic and with the egos at play with Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino, it's hard to see a world in which this ends up being a really happy marriage for the duration of the relationship. But to me, it's just so weird that Jimbo Fisher cannot just come out and say, who's calling plays, who's not calling plays. It seems like he wants to play it as close to the best as humanly possible. And, and, and here's the thing. like He just he, he, he fires my guy, who I, I dealt with at Memphis a whole lot, Daryl Dickey, one of my favorite coaches I've ever had over, uh, over my football career. Um, he fires him, and he was basically sort of uh, just uh, OC by name, not by actual trade. You bring in a guy like Bobby Petrino, the thought process should absolutely be I'm handing it off. And I just find it strange you would go make that type of hire, pay the money you're going to pay to Bobby Petrino, and not actually hand him the, the, the keys to the whole thing. Because last year when Jimbo Fisher was calling plays, it was miserable. It was miserable. That was a bad offense. Well, last two years have just been absolutely awful. And, you know, you hear Eli Drinkwitz get up there and talk about, you know, I, I had to look in the mirror last year and say, hey, I'm, like, to borrow the line from Taylor Swift, ah, like, hi, I'm, I'm the problem. It's yeah. me. I'm the problem. Like, right. this is an A&M offense that was so unbelievably bad against just regular FBS competition. And we think that, that Bobby Petrino is taking over play calling duties. We're – led to believe for the exact reason that you mentioned, you don't bring in someone like Bobby Petrino unless you have severe plans for him that are including play calling duties. But both of those two guys have never had the answer to anyone on the offensive side of the ball in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And now they're just going to be in this, this perfect relationship. It's just difficult to, to kind of process. And the interesting thing is like, look, Lane Kiffin and Josh Heupel, they've given up play calling duties. Nobody really wants to talk about that. Right. Like, but that, but they have a, a a deeper understanding of how they can actually do that, 
And with Jimbo, it just feels like it's all about ego. And also with those guys, I I get the sense, especially in the new age of football where we're at and, you know, spreading it out, trying to throw it a whole lot the way Josh Heupel. Well, Lane Kiffin runs it, but he still does spread it out. Those guys, I feel like they understand who they can trust to call plays in in a solid manner. I don't know if Jimbo has updated his offense since 2013, and I don't know with that, I, I, I just get the sense he doesn't know who to trust to actually call plays. Bobby Petrino makes sense, but he's got to actually hand the damn keys off to him. Now, um, Greg Sankey opened the day, and he talked about NIL and the future of college football and the urgent need for Congress to enact a national standard for name, image, and likeness. Um, he has the emphatic belief that only Congress can adequately resolve these issues. I don't disagree with him. But I don't know if Congress will get it done in, in any type of timely manner. I, I feel like the uh, trying to rely on Congress to get something done is just not a reasonable thought to have at this moment. Um, and, and I wonder what else is reasonable to think. Uh, can, can college football break off from the NCAA and govern themselves? Can we move in that direction? But uh, a reliance on the Congress stresses me out. Does it do the same for you? Yeah, it does. And it stresses me out hearing Greg Sankey talk about it for, what, five, ten minutes and just go on and on and on about how we need legislation. Everybody should be playing by the same rules. You know, ideally, you'd love to be able to have conference-wide rules, but you can't necessarily enforce that or trust that people are going to abide by the right sort of – like, everything that Sankey is saying is, like, understandable, and I get it. But at the same time, I don't know that there is that sense of urgency from Congress to want to step in. I've always said from, from ever since NIL became a thing that the NCAA is not in position to handle this. I mean, right. they're the organization that, that'll take a year investigating whether or not Scott Frost had illegal practices for a 4 win Nebraska team during COVID. Like, come on. <laughs> there, there is always going to be this 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 desire to break away from the NCAA. That that is not going anywhere. And until there's an outside governing body that is able to step in and rule on issues of NIL and tampering through NIL and these different things that we feel like are football specific, then nothing is going to change. And I think Greg Sankey is trying to get things to change and trying to get the ball rolling by going to Washington and, and speaking about this in front of Congress. But ultimately, I'm not holding my breath on it. Yeah, it's it's just I just think it's very foolhardy to believe that that's going to happen in any type of timely manner. But talk with Connor O'Gara at CJ O'Gara on Twitter, senior national columnist for Saturday Down South. Now, also today, Brian Kelly steps up. Uh, what do you think about LSU and their potential to finish at the top of the SEC West again, like they did last year, uh, over top of Bama, getting that win and everything else? Um, Jaden Daniels comes back for another year. It seems like Brian Kelly has that headed in the right direction. But do you think they can finish atop the SEC West again? I have Bama still finishing atop the SEC West, despite the fact that I think the LSU will repeat and win the West again. The crowd has been louder than the Bama crowd. And I think that's what's going to surprise people when those votes come out this week and we see, oh, once again, Bama is picked to win the West. Bama has been the pick to win the West each of the last 10 years. The last time Bama wasn't picked to win the West was, ironically enough, 2012, when they're coming off two out of three national titles. And LSU was the pick that year going into 2012. And there was this thinking that, oh, LSU got, you know, they, they got a raw deal the year before. And they're, they're, they were coming back with even fewer questions than Bama. LSU has fewer questions than Bama. I mean, there's no doubt about yep. it in my mind. And coming off a year in which LSU beat Bama, LSU being the favorite 
makes perfect sense, except for the fact that nobody wants to bet against Bama and be wrong about it. That's yep. what this all comes down to. I mean, that is everything, because you could look at this entire thing on paper and say, yep, LSU checks all the boxes that you would hope for. They have, in my opinion, the best returning defensive player in all of college football. I heard Harold Perkins yep. was a guy that was a popular topic of conversation here. You return Jaden Daniels, who looks like he figured things out at quarterback. Oh, by the way, Mason Smith might be the best the, the best bet to look like Jalen Carter of any player in college football this year. And you have all these pieces working in your favor, including a really good coach in Brian Kelly. But is Bama still going to be the pick? Yeah, probably, because why wouldn't they be? And why would you want to pour dirt on Nick Saban's grave when you don't have to? That's what I think yep. this will come down well, to. Well, the difference here with with LSU and Alabama is LSU, I, I think you could make the argument Jaden Daniels is the best returning uh, quarterback in the SEC. K.J. Jefferson certainly right up there as well. Um, but Alabama's quarterback position, it, you have no idea. I mean, we're talking about Ty Simpson, Jalen Milrow, Tyler Buckner. Like, wh- how concerned are you about that situation and how it's going to play out and, and if they get good production from the quarterback position? Yeah, it's a legit concern. And I think the spring game, if you're one of those people saying, oh, it's not a concern, it's not a concern, they're going to be fine, they just had a bad day. All right, then why did they bring in Tyler Buckner? Why <laughs> right. did they bring in Tyler Buckner to a quarterback room that had four scholarship former blue chip recruits, homegrown blue chip recruits at quarterback. No, it's a thing. They they did not see what they wanted to at the quarterback position. I think they'll get it figured out. I still have this belief that Ty Simpson is going to take the job and he's going to be really good. Now, is there a a, a part of me that says, wow, Tyler Buckner could very well win this starting job because of the familiarity with Tommy Reese. Everybody connected those dots the second he hit the portal. Yes, that possibility is there. But I still think Ty Simpson gives you every possibility to run this Alabama offense the way that they want to. They're going to get back to a more ground-heavy approach. Could this be a vintage Alabama defense right. in the first year of the post-peak golding era? Absolutely. I think they have a lot of pieces there, especially in the secondary, that make me think that this could just be a different Alabama identity than what we've seen in recent memory. And our eyes are tricking us into thinking that just because there's uncertainty at the quarterback position, it means that Bama is about to fall off the face of the earth. I don't think that'll be the case. I think Bama goes 11-1 and one and wins the and wins the West. Does this offseason show, I think the first time in in Nick Saban's career, where I I look at him and I almost feel like he's the one who's doing the copycatting of of what Georgia's done the last two two years. Now, granted, uh, he he did what Georgia did for a long, long time before he had this great run of quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, Mac Jones, uh, Tua Tagovailoa, and now uh, Bryce Young. But is is this sort of the first time we've seen Nick Saban copycatting? To a certain extent, when when around the country, you've seen a lot of copycatting of what Alabama's tried to do with recruiting and everything else. I think Kirby's still on more more so on the the side of, of copying Saban, okay. whatever you want to call that. Gotcha. Uh, I I would still say that's the case, but you know you do look at it from that standpoint and say, well, what is what is the the quarterback position? Are they trying to get their version of Stetson Bennett? Are they trying to take a little bit of a step back in that department? Maybe. I mean, I think it just kind of worked out that way with the way that the the class breakdown was and with Bryce leaving for the NFL. But I I still think that that the Alabama way is still the standard. And this is still a a recruiting class that Nick Saban just signed that's number one in the country. I mean, nobody has done that better than Nick Saban throughout the 21st century. And this is still going to be a team that ranks probably in the top two of the 24-7 sports talent composite rankings that come out every year. So, like, is Alabama really deviating? Are they really copying Georgia? Probably not. But, obviously, who wouldn't want to copy Georgia? Georgia's yep. won consecutive national championships. They just won a national title after having 15 guys drafted in the NFL. <laughs> 
which right. is one of the most absurd things I've ever heard a team do. But, yeah, I, I think that Bama is still doing its own thing and probably has its own standard. Talking with uh, Connor O'Gara, senior national columnist for Saturday Down South on Twitter at CJ O'Gara. Now, across the state from Alabama, we have uh, we have Auburn. Hugh Freeze, year one. What what should the expectation be for, for Hugh Freeze and that Auburn program? Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Dear one. They should be low, but they're higher because of what he did in the transfer portal. And I think that's, that's the thing that we need to, to keep in mind is that there was a path for Hugh Freeze to take a step back and say, well, you know what, I schemed really well at Ole Miss. I schemed really well at Liberty. Yeah, I know this roster, I know it has some issues, but we're going to build it up. We're going to take our time. There was a path that he could have looked at with this team, and I would have said, like, I don't know, like four and eight next year. I mean, they, they really took some – some tough licks with what they lost from a talent standpoint with not being able to recruit at the level that you hoped Brian Harson would be able to recruit at. And instead he took the portal and said, no, I don't care. We're going to go out and we're going to get group of five offensive linemen. I know I'm speaking to somebody that knows a thing or two yeah, about that. Right. And we're going to get experienced dudes and put them in here and play. And we're going to elevate our floor. We're going to go out and get Peyton Thorne. I don't care if Peyton Thorne's not going to win a Heisman trophy. I'm going to elevate the floor of this offense, give us a proof of concept so that we actually can recruit to it, and maybe we can be a 6-6, six 7-5 and six, seven and five team who beats one or two teams that we're not supposed to. That's, I think, the path for Auburn this year. It's still the SEC West. It's still absolutely brutal, even if we have some questions about whether or not Bama is Bama anymore. But I still think that he has done a great job of elevating that floor, and I think there, there could be some tough times because the, the lack of depth is obviously concerning by the end of the year, what that could look like. But Auburn is in position to where it should at least feel better about its season. And to me, that's a huge win after how embarrassing these last two years have been. And they're looking at what? I mean, as far as starters are concerned, maybe 10, 11, 12 different transfers that, that may start yeah. on their team next year? Yeah, I mean, it's it's something like that. You're kind of looking up and down. You're like, oh, Jarko Sunner. Oh, okay, that's. That's yep. like your, your lone like, returning household name on the offensive side of the ball. I know they got a couple of tight ends that they've been able to keep as well. But, yeah, you're looking at it across the board going, man, oh, they needed a ton of help at receiver. They needed a ton of help on the offensive line. Obviously, Robbie Ashford has some intriguing traits at quarterback, but that, that's still a project you're trying to figure out. There, there, was, there was definitely a, a need to, to overhaul that offense with the portal. Now, last thing for you, um, Kirby Smart's going to step up tomorrow. And I feel like it's going to be front page news, ESPN, wherever the hell you, wherever you look. Um, for you guys at Saturday Down South, 
Um, everything that's happened this offseason, uh, what do you make of it? They're try- they've demanded for retraction uh, from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They wrote a story about sexual abuse, assault among players that were still on the roster. Like, uh, What do you make of, of everything, all the negative headlines we've seen from Kirby Smart and that Georgia program this offseason? Well, we were just talking about how Georgia last year had to replace 15 players in the NFL draft and went on to win a national title. I, I think it's pretty safe to say that this offseason has not gone the way that Kirby Smart hoped it would. Driving related charges in the wake of the, the tragic death the, the day after the, the, the parade that they had right. to celebrate that second national championship. I think it's been a bad look. I, I do. I, yep. I think the AJC story and the mess that that has created has sort of it's sort of evolved into this us versus them type thing, which isn't supposed to be the point of it, but it is a distraction from what's ultimately going on on the field and the fact that the the university felt the need to come out with what eight nine page report demanding for a retraction. It's not what you want to spend your time doing. You don't want to come to SEC media days and have to answer questions like that because it creates this cloud over the season. And, and I don't necessarily think that Georgia is going to succumb to that. I mean, I think Kirby Smart has done a lot of things to get this team ready to go. He's got him training with Navy SEALs on, on off days for crying out loud. I mean, this is not somebody who's taking this thing very lightly. I think that they're, they're just in a very different spot. And it goes to show you sustaining success and doing so at the level that Georgia demands now it is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, do you expect a lot of no comments from him tomorrow? Because he's going. I mean, he's going to get just peppered with questions he'll about defer. this offseason. He'll defer to the statement. That that right. would be my guess. Is he'll yeah. defer to that and say he'll let that do the talking. I got you. I got you. Well, Connor, enjoy yourself, man. Day one of SEC Media Days in Nashville. You have fun. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. That's Connor O'Gara, senior national columnist for Saturday Down South, also host of the Saturday Down South podcast on Twitter at CJ O'Gara. Now, we need to go ahead and grab a break, and when we come back from said break, we're going to hop into the Blitz, and uh, we'll try to put a wrap on Grizzlies Summer League. What we think is Kenneth Lofton Jr., now a guy that should be a part of regular season, maybe even playoff rotations. We'll answer that question on the other side. Gabe Kuncho, 92.9 FM, ESPN. appear on the Smile Center hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. There is never a good time to deal with a disaster at your home, residential properties, at your office. But if you do deal with a disaster, call Service Master by Cornerstone. Service Master by Cornerstone is the largest franchise in a 600-mile radius. Don't just call them because they're that big, though. Call them because they're the best at <laughs> helping you in your time of need. They've been awarded Service Masters Franchise of the Year Award, meaning they're the number one Service Master Restore franchise in the U.S. of A. If you have water damage due to a busted water heater, storm damage, if you have a fire and there's smoke damage, if you uh, have mold, uh, make sure that you call Service Master by Cornerstone. Again, no matter the place, no matter the size, they're here to help you with the damage. They can help you at your home. They can help you at your office with all your residential properties. Make sure you call Service Master by Cornerstone. Tyler, the president and owner of Service Master by Cornerstone, and his team are here to help you at these moments. They respond in your time of need. Their motto is, we don't pray for disaster. We just pray that we get called 
when there is one. So remember the name, locally owned, locally operated, Service Master by Cornerstone. That number, because they respond so well to your issues, it'd be 901-RESPOND. 901-R-E-S-P-O-N-D. 901-RESPOND for Service Master by Cornerstone. Now, we're live from the Service Master by Cornerstone studios. Connor Dunning is back with us. It's time to hop into the blitz. Now, the biggest stories overloading the line of bull rush of info. It's Gabe's Blitz on the Gabe Coon Show on 92.9 FM ESPN, Memphis's sports station. All right, Gabe. Kenneth Lofton Jr. was the story of the Grizzlies' summer league and had 24 points against the Clippers last Thursday before having 11 in his final game. Regardless, Considering what he's gotten done in the Summer League, has he earned himself rotational minutes? Now, here's here's the short answer. Has he earned himself an opportunity for rotational minutes? Absolutely. Yes. I, when you have an offensive bag like he has, I think that the Grizzlies need to see what he could potentially unlock in actual games, an actual run. But with that, I mean, I look at the front court, Steven Adams, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Santi Aldama was great. If Brandon Clark is coming along as, as well as they say he is, that's a guy that's in front of him. Um, I think ultimately Kenneth Lofton Jr. Uh, has earned himself an opportunity to get rotational minutes, but he's going to have to do more to earn those actual rotational minutes night in, night out, and get that trust. Um Again, offensively, the bag is great. And, like, you see that, you know, a ceiling for him, if he can get defensive, uh, a little bit of defensive prowess, learn how to switch, rebound at a high level, set screens, you can see where the ceiling is really high. Maybe even compared to a guy like BC coming off injury, compared to a guy like Xavier Tillman. But what those guys do is something that Kenneth Lofton has not shown the tendency to do yet. He's got to be better on the defensive end, and he has to learn how to set screens, do all the dirty work before he gets consistent rotational minutes. I don't know if that will ultimately be with the Grizzlies long term. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. But um, he's on the active roster. Um, They've dealt with injuries last year to Steven Adams and Brandon Clark. I'd imagine there's going to be some minutes for him this year. And uh, based on the consistency he showed as the number one, number two option with the summer league team, I think – that, that there's going to be some minutes for him to find, but I don't think it'll be as consistent as people want it to be at this moment. Yeah, you know, I, I think at some point in the season, due to injury or something like that, um, we may see him have a bigger role in the rotation. I think to start the season, you're going to get him get spot minutes when you can. That's why, to be quite honest, you need to root for the Grizzlies to have uh, big leads because that's when you could see him throwing in and see what he could do. I will say, we've been talking about, you know, the little things he needs to do in summer league, in preseason, just in general to, you know, really establish himself in that rotation. I do think that he showed signs of yeah. doing those things within the summer league. Like, to be quite honest, I thought his defense was much better than I was expecting it to be. He He's moving quicker. He looks like he's lost a lot of weight. He looks good. He was able to go up against some really high-powered big men, and they had, they'd struggled against him a little bit because he just put that body on him, and that's all you have to do. Um I was really impressed by Kenneth Lofton Jr. heading in, like coming out of summer league. I thought that he was going to be kind of the fun thing that comes off of the bench when games aren't really happening this season. But after his performance, I now could see a pathway to him being on the floor for the Grizzlies in a rotation, depending on injury. But let's say that Xavier Tillman has a tough season. 
I wouldn't be yeah. shocked to see a guy like Kenneth Lofton Jr. get a run if he's having a bit of a down time. So, you know, and especially, you know, and, that first 25 games, anything can kind yes. of happen there. They may use it, it as an experiment. We talked about last week that it's possible that they might just see what Z is in that first 25 games. Maybe they do that with Kenny, too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you have a struggle with, with like, uh, bodies, the first 25 games and the rotation's not hitting, and maybe you have a little bit of an offensive, uh, you're slowing down offensively, you need a little bit of a punch, um, Kenneth Lofton, like, it seems like that type of guy. Like, let's see if we can make this thing work, right? Let's th- see, you know, he's just so talented offensively. Let's see if we can put him in and he can make something happen. Now, ultimately, again, the point I'm making, though, Connor, is for him, Summer League is not going to make or break uh, or make, really, ultimately, him into a consistent rotational player with the Grizzlies. Playing alongside all of the other guys on the active roster right, in right. those rotations and showing what he's able to do, showing that he's improved his defense, showing that he's improving his rebounds, showing that he wants to do that dirty work in regular season games, that's what's going to get him into the rotation. All this stuff in summer league, I don't want to say it's all for naught because you really see how mesmerizing and great his offensive bag is and what he's tried to improve on. Like it's it's been fun to watch, but that's not going to to make him when when it comes to being a consistent rotational player for the Grizzlies. Now uh, on uh, on some other notes, I, I, Vince Williams was probably my second favorite player to watch during summer league. He was out for some time, but they were four zero in summer league when he played and he has a good offensive punch, the three and D ability. I really like what that could become. What do you think about, I mean, Roddy LaRavia, Roddy did not play all that well outside of that first game in Salt Lake and Jake LaRavia, he was shooting up over 10 field goals a game. Once he got to Vegas, had, uh, finished his, his last two games. I think he had 22 points and 20 in his, in his final game. Uh, Jake LaRavia, I think has uh, earned himself similar looks and, and and honestly there's more there's more of an opportunity for a guy like Jake LaRavia to immediately be part of a regular season rotation and and same with David Roddy but there's more of an opportunity for Jake LaRavia to be part of a regular season rotation immediately than there is a guy like Kenneth Lofton Jr. and it's 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 interesting to think of it that way but Jake LaRavia impressed me to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, that's just the way that the Grizzlies roster is built right now. You know, um, I'm a huge fan of David Roddy. I thought he had a disappointing summer league. I'm not very concerned about it, though, in a way, because, you know, it's just some of the things that he wasn't doing well he already, you know, showed signs of struggling. He's just got to finish better at the rim. I I really do think that's like a huge thing for him. He is a little bit undersized, but if he can just get better around the rim, I think that's going to solve a lot of the problems that we saw in the summer league. I am encouraged by Jake LaRavia. Very much so, And I'm not quite sure how anybody could have watched him in summer league and not been encouraged by it. That man was letting it fly, and he was knocking him down. He was hitting his threes. Besides that first game, you really really didn't think. Most of the games, he was was really effective on the offensive end of the ball. He moved moved well defensively. I was, I was impressed with that. Yeah, you know, and again, he looks like he's in better shape. So I think it was an encouraging summer league for the Memphis Grizzlies. We didn't really learn anything, I think, huge, but we definitely yeah. saw, okay, I see why they want to see what this wing group is first before they make any huge decisions. Jake LaRavia, the well-roundedness I saw 
of, of his game in summer league. He may not be the fastest. He may not be the most athletic to, de- to defend on the perimeter. But he went up and challenged shots at the rim. He has a good IQ on the defensive end. He can get out and run the break. Like He runs the floor really well. He shot threes really well. I, I like, he, he looked relatively well-rounded. Now, we'll see how that translates to NBA regular season and playoff basketball, but uh, I, 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 don't, I don't come away um, discouraged by what I saw from Jake LaRavey. I come away very, very encouraged by what he could potentially be in this rotation. He just he, he seems like he is, compared to last year, substantially more ready to go. He's built up some more confidence. He was taking more shots. And that, that right there is what you wanted to see. And to your point about Kenny Lofton Jr., it's going to be a big preseason for this group of guys because we need to see how they are against NBA talent in the rotation with the guys that they're going to be playing with. So, you know, right now, if I had to predict going into the season, I still think it's Z's position to lose depending on injury. But I think Jake is right on his heels and Roddy's right up there, too. So I I really do think it might come down to what do you look like in training camp? What do you look like in the preseason? Yeah, no question. No question. And in any of those guys, I... See, I know that they invested a lot in Zaire, picking him number ten overall two years ago. Like, I get that, but at the same time, I'm I don't think this uh, this front office is as attached as some might think to Zaire being that guy in the rotation. If Jake shows he can do something, if David shows he can do something, I think he can. They both can pass up Zaire pretty quickly in the rotation if Zaire comes out slow like he did last year. Yeah, it's a, it's make-or-break season for, for Zaire, yeah. and they're not going to waste time on him. To be quite honest, last season was the year that he needed to be fully healthy and playing, but his body didn't allow him to do that, and that's just and it, it's just it's disappointing and it's unfortunate because that was the year. You know, Those guys are rookies. He could have established himself last season, and he didn't, and now it's that is a competition for that spot now. It's crazy because I think guys. the fan base has switched so dramatically after Zaire's rookie year and seeing what he did in the second season. It's gone from, okay, Zaire is the guy for that spot to, oh, well, David Roddy or Jake LaRavia is who I'd ultimately won that spot because Zaire did so much to turn off, I think, the fan base last year based on what he couldn't do. And in year one, I, I have always made this case. I think year two was a struggle because he was asked to do more with a second unit. First year, if you'll remember, he got to start alongside John Morant and Dez, and he had to run the floor and shoot corner threes. It, it wasn't that hard for him, and he gave Dylan Brooks a little bit of a uh, some time off the floor when uh, when Dylan Brooks was running around defensively, having to guard guys like Steph and Clay Thompson and all that. And, and Zaire would step in and do that for a couple minutes, and he and he did a decent job at it. Um, but he wasn't asked to do much his rookie year. His second year, he got asked to do a whole lot. Maybe he was struggling with injuries, but nothing came to fruition for him. And he just, his IQ didn't look right. Uh, on the defensive end, he looked lost. He was turning the ball over on the offensive end. He couldn't knock down a three. There was just, uh, you got discouraged a lot about what he will potentially be last year. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if he can rebound this year. But I, I think uh, I think the fan base and a lot of people have transitioned to Jake LaRavia versus Roddy for that spot over Zaire. Joel Embiid was interviewed with Maverick Carter at Uninterrupted Film Festival, and this is what he had to say about championships. Fourth of Joel Embiid. 
I just want to win a championship, um, you know, whatever it takes. I don't know where that's going to be, whether it's in Philly or, you know, anywhere else. You know, I just want to have a chance uh, to accomplish that. I want to see what it feels like to win that first one and then pick about, you know, the next one. Um, you know, it's not easy, um, but, you know, it takes more than, you know, one or two or three guys. You got to have, uh, you know, good people around you and, you know, Myself, you know, every single day I work hard to, you know, be at that level uh, so I can produce and make it happen. So uh, every single day I, you know, walking towards that. Yeah, um, I I don't know what to think about uh, Joel Embiid being elsewhere besides in Philly. Like I, this James Harden situation is really weighing on him. I don't think he. I don't think he thinks the the 76ers have a chance to go win a championship without James Harden in the fold. I think most people would think that. And even if James Harden is, is in the fold, you start to think pretty hard about can they do it, even even if that is the case. Um, because I, George Niang's off. They have to rebuild that roster to a certain extent. Uh, I... I I think he sees the writing on the wall long-term for himself. If he wants to win a championship, he doesn't know if he can do that with the 76ers. But this has opened up a whole lot. BetOnline.ag has odds, Connor. BetOnline.ag has odds on Joel Embiid's next team, if not the Philadelphia 76ers. And I'm sure you've seen some of this. New York Knicks apparently are way up there because Leon Rose, who's now the president over there, was uh, his uh, Joel Embiid's uh, agent before he ultimately got the job with the Knicks. And they think that uh, the Knicks would be willing to give a king's ransom to go get Joel Embiid, who's just coming off an MVP season. Um, but I, I, I don't know if this ultimately happens. The 76ers know the value of a guy like Joel Embiid, but I would not here in the next couple of years, if they don't get over the top in the Eastern Conference, I would not rule out the fact or, or a chance that Joel Embiid decides to ask for a trade. And if he asked for a trade, the pressure would mount on that 76ers franchise, and Daryl Morey would probably make a move, ultimately. This feels like a warning shot from Joel Embiid. Absolutely. It, it doesn't seem like he wants out this year or, year, or even maybe next year, but he is saying, listen, long-term, I'm not sure this thing's going to work out in Philly. I'm not sure that this is going to be the group that we can win a championship with. It really felt like last season was the year that they were really going to have a shot to do it, and they weren't able to get it done. This year it's going to get even harder. And, you know, to be honest, though, I think that Joel Embiid also needs to have an honest conversation about himself, about how he has yet to be able to get through a full playoffs fully healthy. Yep. And he has got to come into next season, like, weight down. He's got to have the Shaq actually got in shape offseason. Yeah. He really does because he has not been able to be durable throughout the playoffs, and that has been hampering hey, let me ask their this, championship though. Chances. Let me ask this: like the miss on Ben Simmons, James Harden on the back end of his career, Tyrese Maxey trying to come into his own, and maybe he'll get there this year and into next year, or in two years from now. Like I think in the next two years, we'll see peak prime Tyrese Maxey. But could you sort of blame that on the fact that he is so high usage and he has to do everything for that team night in night out during the regular season Indeed. to preserve any type of Eastern Conference standing by the end of the year? That's the truth of it. Like, I think there's a lot of times where he has to play extended minutes when he probably shouldn't. Um, and he has an early injury history in his in his NBA career. He's just so high usage that I think ultimately once they get to the playoffs, it's almost a foregone conclusion that he's going to struggle. Now, losing some weight and uh, and moving in that direction may help him come playoff time, but I just think he's too high usage of a player to hold up over the long haul over an NBA regular season. Counter to that is, look at Nikola Jokic. Right. He came in last season in the best shape of his career, and he walked out with a championship. Yep. 
he's high usage too. A lot of high usage guys in the NBA don't get hurt because they are in the best shape they could possibly be in. You know, and also you've just got to. I mean, it's been a trend. He has been unhealthy coming into every single season. He gets hurt early. Then he has a stretch of really good basketball, and then he gets hurt again in the playoffs. It, it's like clockwork yes, every it is. single it year. Is. So he's got to change that. Joel Embiid is almost at that Chris Paul level of every time in the every yeah. every time we get to the playoffs, he's going to get hurt. And I think two years ago, like <laughs> two years ago, he came into the playoffs about as healthy as he has ever been going into a playoff situation. But he, I mean, he got elbowed and. The eye and had a. There's also been fracture. some very bad luck. Like there's that some bad true. luck involved with true. Joel there's Embiid been some too. So we luck. cannot discount that. Maybe That's do some I'm sage going. in the locker room. Yeah. Throw some holy water on the yeah. court. I'm not For quite real. sure. Yeah, but uh, but we'll see. I, I think this this absolutely is a warning shot. And I think in the next couple of years, if Joel Embiid doesn't feel like they're actually going to be able to compete for a championship in the Eastern Conference, I mean, and, and you put the backdrop of. What could potentially come, like the you know Dame going to the Heat and where they'll be in a couple of years, and that roster, how it's going to be put together? The Celtics still have their young core together. If Joel Embiid doesn't feel like he can get it done in the Eastern Conference, I would not rule out him asking for a trade and ultimately getting dealt out of, uh, of Philadelphia. Who gets traded first, Joel Embiid or Damian Lillard? <laughs> Good question, honestly. Our final one, real quick. Our guy Tony Pollard did not agree to a long-term deal with the Cowboys. Um, by the way, didn't you you asked me DeAndre Hopkins if he signs or Damian Lillard gets trade traded? Didn't I? Did I say DeAndre Hopkins gets signed first? Yeah, I think yeah. you did say DeAndre. Yeah, Hopkins so I gets ended up. First. I ended up. I ended up well getting done. right there. Well done. Yeah, but that was quick. That was quick. That was. was last week we talked about that. Um, but final one, Tony Pollard here, um, not agreeing to a long-term deal. I don't think he's. Overly worried about a long-term deal. He's coming off injury. He's going to get his $10 million due to him this year. He's going to have lead a lead-back role. I think Ronald Jones is in that backfield now to take some of that uh, onus off of him consistently running between the tackles coming off injury. Um, I heard also over the weekend that Zeke, Zeke Elliott, not off the table that he could return to the Cowboys. It's not some ridiculous, you know, they, they don't hate each other right now, Zeke and the Cowboys, so that he could ultimately be back in a Cowboys uniform going into next year. Um, but... Ultimately, this shines light on the running back position, Connor, and I know we've we've beat this drum, but Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, none of those guys agreed to a long-term deal. The last time a running back signed a long-term contract worth $10 million or more per year was Nick Chubb in 2021. Wow. 716 days ago. Running back value is cooked. Even if you are the guy like Saquon Barkley who ran for 1,300 yards and had, uh, tied for the lead in receptions on your team, you're not getting paid. Now, we're, we're going to have these discussions going into next year. Where does Josh Jacobs land? How does Saquon Barkley go about? Uh, where does he land? Tony Pollard, where does he land? Like, we're, There's going to be some good running backs out there on the market, but what are they ultimately going to get paid? It's crazy. Like I, I get the thought process of, okay, let's draft a running back, see what we can get out of him for five years, franchise tag him, and then draft another running back. I get that when it comes to salary cap tables with the hard cap. You want to save some money. You want to cut corners. But there are times where a guy like Saquon Barkley, a guy like Josh Jacobs, mean too much to your offense. And to be honest... I don't think the front offices understand that. I don't think they pay attention to how much those running backs in particular mean to their success. 
There's other situations like Dalvin Cook. I've mentioned this. Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison was really good when he got in, in there for, for Dalvin Cook. So they move off of Dalvin Cook. They don't want to pay him the contract anymore. And they let Alexander Madison for two years take that spot before they find somebody else. Like I get that not every situation is created equal. But even the guys at the peak of their game in their prime that are performing at the highest of levels are not getting paid. And it's just it's it's tough for me to say. I am team running back. I love I love a good running back. But moving forward, those guys aren't going to get get paid how they once were. And it's frustrating. They don't they barely get drafted in the first round anymore. <laughs> it's it's getting bad. It's not fun to be a running back in the NFL anymore, Connor. It's not. Pay your writers, pay your actors, pay your running backs. <laughs> I got you. I, I, I would say so. I would say so. Now that'll do it for the Blitz. Have one more segment left in the day on the Gabe Coon Show. We'll get to that next. That'll be the Rewind right here on 92.9 FM ESPN. Now it's the Rewind. Now we play a battle like Rewind. Brought to you by Memphis Barbecue Company. Rewind on 92.9. The Titans land DeAndre Hopkins. Look, I, I have said this entire time since the sweepstakes began. I don't really get it. But it is what it is. That team, to me, is just not built to make some substantial run in the playoffs, and investing money in a guy to catch passes from a quarterback that you seemingly don't have a future plan for seems foolhardy. That's Ryan Tannehill we're talking about. You grab Will Levis and uh, Malik Willis in back-to-back years to potentially try to replace him, and seemingly the thought is you're going to move off of him. And then on top of that, you're run-heavy. You invested in Traylon Burks and let go of A.J. Brown, and your O-line has taken a step back the past few years. Also, I think the history of wide receivers at the end of their careers ending up in a Titans uniform, it's just not, it's not a great history. Randy Moss, Andre Johnson, Julio Jones, they were not great in a Titans uniform. Now, just because I don't get it doesn't mean the Titans fans didn't need some level of win and that the Titans themselves didn't need a trustworthy target to throw to. It helps them in the immediate, and from the looks of it, that's all that matters today, and that's okay. We also had SEC Media Days begin today. Jimbo Fisher calls Bobby Petrino a tremendous guy. Interesting. Also, he was uh, not very uh, upfront about who's going to be calling plays this year, even with Bobby Petrino as the OC. He said that they'll talk about that behind closed doors, and he's not going to show his hand. Also, Greg Sankey, commissioner of the SEC, calls for Congress to help unify the country on the NIL front. Okay. We'll wait on Congress to get something done. That's always a great plan. But regardless, we went out to Nashville at 6 to talk with Connor O'Gara of Saturday Night South about SEC Media Days. And, of course, Jeff Calkins joined in his normal spot at 5. If you want to listen to those interviews or play back the whole show, download the Odyssey app and search 92.9 ESPN. What's the biggest game tonight? Presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Gabe, the Red Sox are showing signs of life. They are. They're not last anymore. They're tied for last. Progress. But I will not be betting on them because I do not want to jinx it. So I'm going to be going Rockets-Cavs Summer League Championship game, 8 p.m. tonight. Right now, the Cavs are a two-point favorite. I'm taking Rockets plus two. Is this an Amani Bates legacy game, though? <laughs> Maybe. Sure. Amani Bates legacy game. Summer league. He's been great. He's 20 points. He's in been the, really fun. 20 points in the semis, four for five from three. I see the vision. Good for him. I see I'm the happy vision. For him. I'm yep. happy for him. Fast forward. Fast forward. Uh, tomorrow, Christian Fowler on uh, Tiger Basketball roster makeup with Javon Quinterly committing late last week. We'll have more coverage of SEC Media Days. Kirby in Georgia. Step up to the podium. 
as a part of the festivities tomorrow. Uh, expect that to be front page news with the way that Georgia's offseason has gone. And also, NFL training camps are going to get going late this week. There'll be plenty to get to on tomorrow's show. But that's a wrap for today. Thanks to Connor O'Gara and Jeff Calkins for their contributions to today's show. We'll meet back here at the same time tomorrow. But in the meantime, I'm going to go ahead and pass you off to Joe and Amber. They will be next for Connor. I'm Gabe. Be easy, be safe, and enjoy the rest of your night. WMFS FM and HD1 Bartlett. WMFS Memphis celebrating a legacy of sports as the flagship home of the Memphis Grizzlies and Tigers Talk. Always live on the Odyssey app and on smart speakers say play 92.9 ESPN. Tonight mainly clear and humid with a low of 76. 92.9 FM ESPN is Memphis's sports station on the free Odyssey app. Download it now on your phone. Smart speakers say play 92.9 ESPN. Weather brought to you by Staples. Staple stores are a new world of possible with innovative tools for small business and remote workers and learners. Explore more at your local Staple store or staplesconnect.com. At Genesis Memphis Covington Pike, it's time to define luxury in a new way. At every turn, you'll find audacious design, state-of-the-art technology, and exceptional hospitality. We are dedicated to crafting the world's best vehicles, matched by an extraordinary sales-to-service experience for our owners. Prepare to be noticed in the 2023 Genesis G70. This sporty sedan is a force to be seen. We'd love you to explore the 2023 Genesis GV70 with a class-leading 300-horsepower engine or the available 375-horsepower twin-turbo V6 for terrains from concrete jungles to mountain roads. It's a new beginning for a new generation. Genesis Memphis Covington Pike, 1870 Covington Pike, or visit us online at memphisgenesis.com. Estimated horsepower based on premium fuel ratings. Use of regular fuel will result in reduced horsepower. See dealer for complete details. Dealer stock only. Ray Maliazzi here for eBay Motors. Okay, easy now. You're teaching your kid how to parallel park. Ouch! (laughs) Turns out he likes to do it by feel. (laughs) Don't worry, eBay Motors has bumpers, taillights, trunk lids, license plate holders, 122 million parts. Pull up just a little bit. And headlights. (laughs) They've got lots of headlights. Get the right parts at the right prices. eBay Motors. Let's ride. That's Mike saying good morning. It's the best he can do right now. Yeah, not a cloud in the sky. What Mike could use is a fresh start. And Irish Spring Body Wash. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.